Psalm chapter 37, verse 7. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Here we go. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret when men succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from your anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For evil men will be cut off. But those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank you so much for these words. Help us to understand exactly what David was saying, what he meant, what you meant through him. What word do you have for us through your word today? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. This morning's message is entitled, Learning Not to Fret. Learning Not to Fret. You probably gathered that title from the passage. The word fret is in there twice, and it's a, it's a distinctive term. So I want to talk to you about that today, or God's Word shares with you about that today. And it's something that if you do, and you do, <laughs> get rid of it in your life. Nobody ever says, you know, that fretting really worked out. That was very constructive. Uh, I enjoyed that in my life so much better from all that fretting. No, you don't need it. It's junking up your life. Don't do it. So you might ask the question, what is fretting? Well, before we get back into the passage, I think we need to define the word. So I looked up definitions on fretting, and these are a few. To cause to be uneasy or to vex, or to gnaw with the teeth in the matter of a rodent. <laughs> Irritation of mind, agitation. Another said, fretting is different than grumbling. Um, for example, um, when you came in today, you, you may have noticed there are Christmas decorations in the lobby. Now, I want to give you context, and I said this last year. The reason that we have Christmas decorations in the lobby, and it's just now October the 1st, is that the two ladies, um, Constance and uh, Darla, who's leading it all up, both of them have cancer. I think stage four cancer. They've been going through chemo. They didn't even know if they would live to see this Christmas. And God has graciously allowed them to be here at the church and here on this earth another Christmas. And I thank him for that. Amen. Amen. But they came to me a month or so ago and said, now, Pastor Lee, we don't have the energy that we once did. It's going to take us a long time to, to get all of this done. Uh, when can we start? And I said not realizing they would start in September. I said, ladies, you just start anytime you want to. So um, again, if you fret about that or you want to complain about that, absolutely, you go right ahead. That, that will automatically put you in charge next year of the Christmas decorations. So that's your way of volunteering, I dare you. And Darla would dare you too. Fretting. It's something a little, little more different. The Hebrew word literally means to kindle or to burn or to grow warm. It's like cooking with charcoal. 
You don't just light the charcoal immediately and, uh, and, and immediately start cooking. You wait for it to, to get hot from the inside out. And that's what makes those coals such good uh, devices for cooking because they're heated on the inside. When they get hot on the inside, then you know slowly but surely they get to that point and they're, you're able to cook something and keep it simmering with that. Now, let me give you my definition. And so this is the Lisite version or the Lisite definition. Take it with a grain of salt. Fretting is the behavioral manifestation of worry, fear, and anxiety that can be seen in your eyes and heard in your voice. That is, fretting is worry that manifests itself. Fretting is anger, seething anger that manifests itself, and that leads to sin. Fretting is a faithless splinter in your mind, an argument of one. Again, here's the Lisite version. Fretting is the spiritual version of a single car collision. <laughs> I saw a video with Cherry this week. We're watching videos on YouTube of people crashing their cars. Don't ask me why. It was there, you know. And so it was like idiot drivers, you know, version uh, volume 103. They're just, you can, you can watch an endless sea. I don't know why we watch that stuff of people crashing their car. And there was this one person going down this highway. It's a straight highway. It's like three or four lanes. And, and they're going straight down. There's no curve. It's a clear day. The weather's fine. And they, they couldn't even manage that. They just veered out of control and smashed into the thing. And they're all over the place. Just one car can't go in a straight line. What, what, what was I preaching about? Um, <laughs> Fretting is the spiritual version of a single car collision. That's where I got that. And, and it is, we do the same thing spiritually and mentally in our mind. We're going through life. And this shouldn't, th these kinds of things should not destroy us. God's got to be looking down going, really, really, you let that bother you? And so it, it's a single car collision. Fretting uh, creates a habit of, of looking on the dark side of things. And that's one of the bad results of fretting. It is a perpetual nosebleed, <laughs> spiritually speaking. When I uh, was, in, uh, I was a young man, long before I married, in the 1990s, I was in my second pastorate in the church over, way over in East Texas, a wonderful congregation. And I know I've told this awful, horrible story before, but it makes an important point, so you need to hear this. I had a deacon, uh, one of the deacons, who was very elderly, I mean, pushing 90 or so, and he went out to his mailbox one day, and he lost his balance, and he fell face forward into the ground. When he did that, that broke his nose, and uh, his nose began to bleed, and so his wife, who, who's still alive, by the way, she was at the time still alive, she began to tend him, and, and it's just nosebleed, no big deal, but it wouldn't stop bleeding, and he just kept bleeding and kept bleeding, and so after a few hours, they took him to the doctor, because he couldn't get the nose to stop bleeding. Well, the doctor tried various things, he looked up his nose, it all looked fine, but the blood just kept coming and coming and coming, and finally he said, you need to go to the hospital, and so they took him to the hospital, because he was bleeding out from a nosebleed. And they went to the emergency room and they worked on him. They couldn't figure it out. They did scans and MRIs, couldn't see anything out of the ordinary. 
as to why his nose would be bleeding like that. So I went to see him in his room and he is sitting there in the bed. Blood is everywhere. It was the most gory scene I have ever seen. And ladies, I want you to know, every one of your husbands show me all their incisions and all that kind of gross stuff. This one I couldn't take. Please, please don't do that, man. But I couldn't handle this. I had to walk out of the room because there was so much blood. He had a plastic bucket on his, on his chest just sitting there to catch all the blood that kept coming out. They kept having to give him blood. And finally, they didn't know what to do. They took him in surgery. Well, it turns out there was from the, the bone or the cartilage in his nose a tiny, tiny splinter of that material, that bone or cartilage, and that was puncturing his sinuses and causing the nosebleed. It was so tiny, it would not show up on any of the scans or x-rays, but it was there nonetheless, and it became life-threatening to him, a nosebleed. And once they got that splinter out of there, problem solved. Well, fretting is like that. It's a tiny splinter, and you may think, it's not a big deal. If it wasn't a big deal, it wouldn't be in the Bible. God thinks it's a big deal. He does not want you and I to be fretting in our life because we're victors in Christ. And so that's my definition, and you probably won't be able to unsee that um, when you think about it. Psalm chapter 112, verse 10 says this way, it says this way the wicked men... The wicked man will see and be vexed. Uh, there's that word. I like that word, vexed. He will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. I'll talk more about that in just a minute. Fretting, as they say, is our inability to see God. When I look into this world and I don't see through the eyes of faith, I fret. And it's an extraordinary waste of time. Well, there's no government shutdown today. They voted yesterday, if you've been watching the news, to uh, last night maybe, late last night, to, to avert the shutdown, at least temporarily, by putting in a temporary budget for the next 45 days. Now, what's the interesting thing about that is, if you watch the news, it has consumed the news channels. They have been talking about it and talking about it and talking about it. They have outlined all the details of every person in America that will lose their job or will lose their paycheck. And I'm not saying that that's good. That's not a good thing, but they've been very explicit about it and take a lot of time in the news. It must have been a slow news week because that's all they talked about. All they talked about, the shutdown, the shutdown, the shutdown, and then it didn't happen. And I want to call the news stations and say, you know, next time you might want to wait till after the shutdown and then spend all that time, because you spent all of that time, hours and hours of reporting on something that didn't even happen. It came to nothing. And I thought, you know, I wonder how much in our life is that way, that just comes to nothing. Well, God doesn't want you to spend your time in your life in things that just come to nothing, and that's what fretting does. It comes to nothing. The early church leader, Augustine, was once accosted by a pagan who showed him his idol, and he said, here's my God, where's yours? Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because there's no God to show, but because you have no eyes to see him. And when we don't see God acting in this world, in his sovereignty, in his power, in his majesty, we begin to fret. 
as though it's all going to pot and it's all out of control. Nothing's out of control in the hands of a sovereign God. So how do we deal with that? If you agree with me, and I assume that you do, you want to get the fretting out of your life because, you know, there is complaining and then there's just outright anger and bitterness, but then there's fretting. Fretting is a seething kind of thing. It seems less destructive than the other things, but it's all there. But that's the lie. Fretting is, a little fretting is okay. No, no. This morning, I was preparing uh, the multimedia for the message, the, the, the picture you see behind you and the verses. And uh, what happens when I get those done is I send them wirelessly through the cloud interweb thing to this computer here. I don't know how it works. It just goes from my computer to this computer. And then my, my sermon that I write goes from my word processor to this tablet right here. I'm not sure how. I, I actually, wow, well, this one I do know. I email it to myself is what happens. And that's, I found the easiest way. Well, this morning, thank you, Charter, the internet was not working. Didn't work all morning long. And so just getting the 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 sermon to this tablet, and by the way, I much prefer preaching from the Bible. I can't stand tablets, but I've told you before, and if you're new, I can't read this anymore. It's too small, and so I got these great big letters on here on my tablet, and, and so I couldn't get it to the tablet because I couldn't email myself because there's no internet. I tried through the cloud. That wouldn't go over here, so I had no, I had no sermon, and I had no backgrounds. It's all in my office. I was going to have to have all you come through my office, and i just preach at you while you came through. So literally, we had to delay the starting of the first service for a few minutes while we could figure out how to do that. I hooked up a, 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 a wire, what do they call that, a USB-C cable. That didn't work. I don't, thank you, Windows. Everything got firewalled and blocked and blah, 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 blah. We finally got it done. But I want you to know, and Chris said, Lee, when I finally got it resolved, he said, don't you think it's ironic that you're preaching on fretting this morning? When this happened, and I thought, no, 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 no. What I was doing was not fretting. It was pure hatred <laughs> of our te technology. Okay, all right. So how do you stop the fretting? Well, I love this about the Bible. David gives us two clear ways to stop the fretting. Number one, he says, be still. Psalm 37, verse 7. Starts out by saying this, be still before the Lord. Before he starts talking about fretting, or as he begins this conversation about fretting, that he mentions twice, he, he begins it by saying this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Now, I know I've shared this with you before as we've gone through other passages because it's a common theme in the Bible. And God makes it a common theme in the Bible because he knows this is difficult for us to simply be still. It's a hard concept. I have no time for being still. Being still is unacceptable. I'll be still when I'm older. I'll be still when I'm retired. I'll be still when I die. We, we always, right now, got to get it done, got to get it done, got to get it done. And we're wound up so tight all the time. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus was sleeping in the boat on the Sea of Galilee. A storm brewed up. 
it just, I guess, made him even more sleepy, all that rocking of the boat. So he's just sound asleep. The disciples see the white caps and the storm, and they're terrified because they think we're, they're going to die. Because normally that's when storms get that bad on the Sea of Galilee, people end up dying. Unless you have the Son of God in your boat, then you shouldn't worry. And we read the story and think, you silly people, you goofy disciples, how, how could you have been afraid? How could you not have known? Oh, well, Jesus is in the boat. We're in the boat. And because he's in the boat, I think we're going to be okay. But they did not do the math, and they were horrified. They were terrified. And so they woke up Jesus uh, from his nap. Jesus just gets up. He calms the storm. No biggie. And, and, and within moments, it goes from white caps and terrible storm down to just glass smooth quiet calm water now this is where the disciples should have said thank you <laughs> thank you so much we thought we were going to die or they could have confessed to Jesus that would have been appropriate Forgive us for our lack of faith. We should have known that you were going to take care of it. They didn't do that either. What did they do? They turned to Jesus and they say, who is this guy that even the wind and waves obey him? In other words, oh my goodness, this guy has power over nature. I don't know if they were more frightened of the storm or Jesus after the storm, because until that moment, apparently the disciples just didn't get it, that Jesus was not just Messiah, he was God incarnate. And that moment when he had power over nature, I think they started to get it, which is why Jesus set the whole thing up for them anyway, because he wanted them to get it that I'm not just promised Messiah, I am the incarnation of God Almighty and I have power and authority to do whatever needs to be done, whatever I decide. And so they were terrified. Who is this guy, they said? Who is he that he has power over nature? Jesus was able to calm the storm quickly and easily, easy for God. But calming the disciples was another matter. You ever, don't raise your hand. You ever been in a big argument with your spouse? And they say to you, look, you're right. I'm, this is all hypothetical. You're, you're right. I'm wrong. I shouldn't have said that. Um, I apologize. And then it's over. But if you're the spouse that's just been apologized to, you have a hard time. You don't want it to be over. There have been times I didn't want it to be over. I still had things I wanted to say. I wanted to murmur for just a little while longer. Bless her heart. I think this happened. You know, 99.9% .9 of the time it's the other way. It's me that needs to apologize. But uh, have you ever been in a situation like that? You, you, well, that's what Jesus encountered on the boat with the disciples. I don't think they wanted the storm to end quite yet because they're still emotionally all worked up. And so they're fretting, fretting, fretting. And God says, be still. God desires to calm the storm in your life.
in your heart that nobody knows about, but God knows. Be still. That's not easy. How can you learn to be still? Well, let me give you a suggestion this morning. And I know this sounds silly, but just hit the reset. <laughs> you know, the first thing I did this morning, well, I went in there and I just turned off the power and turned the power back on. And by the way, the internet lurked for 30 minutes. This was about 6 a.m. And I, I, if I'd have realized it was, it was gonna crash in 30 minutes and never come back, I, I could have made some transfers then, but I thought it was all fixed. Sometimes in your life, you just need to hit the reset button. And I mean that. You, you just need a fresh start, fresh perspective. You need to back away, get away from this job or get away from this issue, get away from your, you know, again, I always say this, if it's the news, stop watching the news. Why don't you turn that stuff on? You don't have to know every sin committed in the whole world all the time. If that's bothering you, our government, by the way, how many shutdowns have they have? How many threatened shutdowns have they have? This happens over and over and over and over again. Why do we get ourselves full of anxiety like it's never happened before? It's just government being government. And I don't mean to sound callous about government. I'm not saying don't be involved or concerned. Just don't let it destroy you because often it just comes to nothing. Hit the reset button. I think of another psalm. This is Psalm 46. And by the way, Psalm 46 was not written by David. Did you know that not all the psalms were written by David? We have one psalm that was written by Moses. This particular psalm, we think, was probably written by King Hezekiah years after David. And if you look there in Psalm 46, verse 8, this is during the time of an invasion of the Assyrian army, which was a massive empire and a massive army. They've surrounded Jerusalem and they're going to lay siege and just starve them out. Terrible way to die. And this is the response of Hezekiah, a man of faith. In Psalm 46, verse 8 says this. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. In other words, God, God does it. It's a God thing. Then verse 10, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. Now, that's quite a thing to say to a bunch of people who are, who are fearful of starving. If you remember later on, after Hezekiah, under wicked kings, they were laid siege to. They became so hungry that the adults were eating their own children. I believe that was under Josiah. Eating their own children. So this is a bad situation. He goes before the people and they're, they're realizing, hey, uh, you know, they're going to starve us out. This is going to be terrible. We're all going to die. Our children are going to die. We're going to... And he says, wait, 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 just be still, be still, got to take care of it. Hit, hit the reset for just a minute. Trust that God is going to take care of things. Psalm 23 says, David again, he leads me beside quiet waters. Now you can throw a fit beside the quiet waters or make a big splash in the water, but the waters are quiet. God provides that for you and for me. I love dogs. We have a dog, an English setter. 
And even though I love dogs, I've always loved dogs. My dad had English sitters growing up. He's a big quail hunter. And, and I'm going to say this. It's not, I know I'm not supposed to say this because it makes me look heartless. I'm not especially fond of puppies. Now, that sounds like Cruella de Vil or something, but I love dogs, just not real fond of the puppies. I know they're cute, but they're also hyper. They're always jumping on everything and everyone. In fact, if you've got a very big dog breed, that, that puppy may weigh 60 or 80 pounds and has no idea how strong they are or what they're destroying. They scratch everything. They chew up everything. They're high energy and high maintenance. I prefer a nice, calm, still dog. You know, 12 or 13 years old. My favorite dog was on the set of a show called Hee Haw. And he, remember on the porch, you know, when they sang the song, that dog just laid there in all the seasons of Hee Haw. That dog never moved one time. That's a good dog. <laughs> well, mentally and spiritually, we're sometimes more like puppies. And God says, just relax, calm down, take a nap. I'll take care of it. The second thing he tells us to do, the first is to, um, to be still, and the second is to have hope. Back to our passage for today, Psalm 37, verse 8. That's the third or fourth line there. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil, for evil men will be cut off, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. There are two kinds of people, God says. <coughs> there are evil people, and there are people who put their hope in trusting God. And the result is, the people who hope, put their hope and trust in me, God says, you're going to inherit the land. Now, 3,000 years ago, <coughs> that means you're going you're to have victory. You're going to dominate the other nations, or you're going to be protected from the other nations. It's going to be your land. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide it for you. And by the way, God did. Saved uh, saved uh, Hezekiah in his day, as well as David, and provided safety for them in their own land. So refrain from anger. Turn from wrath. Don't fret. But put your hope in God. If you remember, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, this is like 50 days after the resurrection of Christ, he's now ascended into heaven and uh, so on the day of Pentecost, they are in a place together. They're told by Christ in his final days or final hours to wait, wait. They're in Jerusalem, so they're all together. And it's the day of Pentecost. God sends the Holy Spirit upon them. And there's this mighty rushing wind sound that causes people by the thousands to come running. We know that because 3,000 people are about to get saved. In one service. And so they're all together. There's no agenda. There's no order of service. They, they don't have any of this plan. They're just waiting. And the Holy Spirit comes upon them as everybody's rushing to, hear, to, to find out what all that noise, that wind noise is about. They suddenly hear, they're going to hear uh, Peter preaching in, uh, in his language, but they're going to hear it in their language. And the rest of the disciples, as they're prophesying and they're speaking, everybody hears it in their own language. But many of them that are there think that they're just drunk. <laughs> Do you remember that? 
And Peter gets up and addresses the crowd and he preaches this first sermon, amazing, powerful, famous. And he begins by saying, we're not drunk, it's 9 a.m. He actually mentions the time on there. That's funny, he doesn't say we don't ever get drunk or we don't drink. What he says is, we don't, we don't get drunk at 9 a.m. <laughs> so, I'm sorry, that's a little joke. I find it interesting that he says that. But what he's implying is, nobody gets drunk at 9 a.m. Of course we're not drunk. Something else is happening. And then he goes to share the gospel with them from that and certainly has gotten their attention. In the middle of that sermon, he quotes David way back when. And he says that David actually prophesied about Jesus. Did you know that? That, that God in his spirit, put onto David's heart this prophecy about the coming Messiah. And so in his sermon, he quotes David. In Acts chapter 2, verse 25, he says this. David said about him, this is Peter speaking. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And we talked about an unshakable kingdom last week. Verse 26, therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body will, all, will live in hope. There's the word, my body will live in hope because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One, that's Jesus, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. In that prophecy about Christ, the key word in the whole passage is the word hope, that you have hope in Christ. Hope, by the way, by a very definition, is future-minded. It's not here right now. It's something that's going to happen in the future. You and I have hope that God will give us victory. You and I have hope that God will deliver us and sustain us. You, you and I have hope in salvation through Jesus Christ. Jeremiah lived in the lowest moment of the history of Israel, except for the moment that Jesus died on the cross or the crucifixion. That would be the lowest moment. But other than that, the lowest moment in the history and the life of Israel was in the Old Testament when Babylon came through and destroyed everything. Knocked down all the walls, destroyed Jerusalem completely, destroyed the, the temple, Solomon's beautiful temple, and it's all just a bunch of rubble. Hauls everybody away, except for the elderly and those too weak to make the trip. And Jeremiah is one of the elderly. He's left there looking over the rubble. And as he is looking over the desolation, he writes a book called Lamentations because he's lamenting this low point in the history and the life of Israel. But even then, listen to what he says. This is Lamentations chapter 3, verse 18. So I say... My splendor is gone, and all that I had hoped, there's the word, all that I had hoped from the Lord. In other words, I had hoped that the people would repent. I, I had hoped that God would relent and not send this catastrophe. I had hoped that the temple wouldn't be destroyed and the walls wouldn't be knocked down. But it all happened anyway. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I had hoped from the Lord. I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. 
Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. He says, the old hope is gone, but now I've got a new hope. So wherever you are in your life, what have you done? What have you been through? What are you struggling through right now? I want you to know, even if your old hopes were crushed, God says, I give you new hope. You've got another future that God will give for you. Therefore, I have hope, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. In other words, Jeremiah is saying, well, we got destroyed, but we're still here. I'm still alive. That's something to, to rejoice over. He says, uh, um, verse 22, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will what? Wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. You hear that those two terms over and again. Be still. Wait for the Lord. Put your hope in him. Now, this week when you go out, maybe you need to turn off the TV. Maybe you need to stay off social media if there's too much that's too venomous. Maybe open your Bible. Maybe spend a little more time praying or any time praying if you don't pray. And see if that doesn't ease up on the fretting and increase your hope. Pray with me. Father, we come to you this morning and we acknowledge that we all fret. And fretting is a, a part of, of a manifestation of our worry and our fear and our anxiety. It just comes out of us. We say we're believers, but people see that fretting in our eyes. They hear it in our voice and in the tone. And we destroy our witness. Father, may we stop that this week for myself, for all of us. We do it and we don't even realize it. We don't even know. It's just so subtle sometimes. Help us to wait patiently on you. Help us to put our hope in you, knowing that you're going to take care of it. The government is a mess, yes. It's always been a mess, always will be. But I have hope that you're in charge. This world is a dark place. But we have hope in Christ. And we will wait patiently for his return. Though we anticipate, oh, how we anticipate longing for that moment that he descends to the clouds and this is all wrapped up. Help us to wait patiently, knowing the day will come. Whether through the return of Christ or through our own death in this world, as we step into your presence, victory is always there. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Can I challenge you this morning? right where you are. Have you been fretting? Let God take that away from you.
You don't need it in your life. It won't help. Won't add a single moment to your life. Won't improve anything. Won't solve any problem. Won't fix the government. Won't fix your marriage. Won't fix your job. Won't fix school. It just wastes your life. Hinders your time. Let it go. God, I'm going to wait before you. And I'll put my hope in you. Will you make that commitment for God today? Maybe God is calling you or your family to join with First Baptist Church. You want to come up and say, Pastor, we'd like to join the church. We want to serve here. Or God is leading you to give your life to Jesus Christ. Listen, if the Holy Spirit is leading you, don't wait. Don't wait till next Sunday. Time is now. God will give you a chance now. You come right now and say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe you just want to come and kneel and pray. If God is calling right now, this is your opportunity. Would everyone stand? All heads are bowed and all eyes are closed as you continue to pray right now. If God is calling, you come.